Okay, everybody, hello, welcome. This is Flea Market Fantasy. What number are we at, Mike Dell? Number four? Number six. Number six. <laughs> You're not even close. Not wow, even close. okay. Number six. <laughs> um, yeah, so today we are going to be covering Mr. Miracle number 19 from the 1970s. And uh, as always, I am your co-host, Mike L, and I'm joined by... <laughs> Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. Yes. Okay, so Mike <laughs> Dell, I understand you didn't really know much about Mr. Miracle before you read this comic. Is that true? That is correct. I had no okay. real concept of him or uh, his whole world. So we need to get into this, Mike L, because this is pretty, sure. pretty weird stuff. <laughs> so, okay, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Mr. Miracle was created by Jack Kirby. I think everyone's yes. familiar with the Jack Kirby. Uh, and, and many consider uh, Jack Kirby leaving Marvel in 1970 to join DC as the beginning of the Bronze Age. How do you feel yes, about that, Michael? I think it's, let's put it this way. If it's not the beginning of the Bronze Age, it's definitely the end of the Silver Age. You know? <laughs> All right, I see what you're saying. Definitely, yeah. Uh, he signed a three-year contract with DC with an option for two more. And then uh, when that ran out, he, he returned to Marvel in 1976 for a three-year run. But when he went to DC uh, back in 1971 there, or 70, he uh, created what was known as the Fourth World. Mm -hmm. The Fourth World. I had never heard of this concept. Really? Wow, yeah. okay. <laughs> no idea what this was. Uh, and it was a group of three interlinked titles, The New Gods... Mr. Miracle, and the Forever People. Plus, yes. Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> yep. He uh, yes, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Yes, right. Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. And that's actually, I believe, where the New Gods first premiered. Was in that. Technically, that was, yeah, that was definitely the first appearance of Darkseid and probably the rest of them as well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, Kirby only wanted to do the first, Fourth World stuff as a limited series, uh, but their initial success made DC demand them to be in ongoing titles. But the New Gods and Forever People only lasted 11 issues, and uh, Mr. Miracle lasted 18. And then Yes, he was so technically it was the most popular. Yeah. So uh, now what do you know about this fourth world stuff, Mike? What, what can you tell us about this? Like, what, What's your perspective on the fourth world? Well, th what I know about it is Kirby was really into mythology and religion and obviously gods, and he had been working on Thor for must yes. have been six years. And uh, he... You know, to make a long story short, he wasn't happy w about his working relationship with Stan Lee. And uh, there was a lot of things, a lot of ideas he had. He, he wanted to have control of his own stuff. So he basically went over to DC. And not only did he was he able to do what he wanted to do, but he, he secretly set up uh, the whole premise for New Gods in Thor. Did you know that? I did not. But Yes, he... But it, it's well, interesting that you mentioned that he was on Thor because the whole time when I'm reading this issue, I'm like, well, this is just ripping off Thor. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yes, because basically what he did was he just had, I, I don't know, I guess he was getting bored with uh, you know, Thor and the Norse gods. And so he had this idea of killing them all off and then starting a new race of gods called the New Gods. And so what he did was he actually depicted Ragnarok in yeah. Thor towards the end of his run. And that was sort of like, a sneaky way of rebooting, you know, the universe so that he could then introduce the new gods over at DC. Right. Now, I honestly don't know how Marvel followed up his storyline with Ragnarok. I have no idea. But yeah, so even in the beginning, it, in the origin of the new gods, they kind of show like a flashback of how they started. And it kind of 
alludes to Kirby's last few issues of Thor, showing like Ragnarok happening and all that stuff. So. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I know, yeah, I know. it's kind of cool. All right, so so the new gods, uh, you mentioned you know Ragnarok, the new gods come in here in DC. They they live on it. It's basically a story of two planets, yes. New, new Genesis, which uh, the good guys, and it's basically mm-hmm. like the Garden of Eden when you think about it. Yes, yeah, it's very idyllic, uh, nature and everything's wonderful uh, at New Genesis, and is ruled by the High Father, mm-hmm. basically God, <laughs> the High Father. Yeah, you could say that, or like, or like Abraham, or kind of a Moses type figure, right? Or uh, going with the Thor analogy, Odin. It's Odin. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. The other planet, Apocalypse. Yes. And it's spelled A P O K O L I P S. Apocalypse. And uh, who's the ruler over there, Michael? A certain dark side. Yeah, dark side. Now, not, uh, not uh, dark seed, as some yeah. people have incorrectly said. Yeah, yes. it's spelled S E I D there at the end. Uh, now, I first became aware of Darkseid when I was a kid. Uh, remember they had that uh, ca- the cartoon? Didn't it? Wasn't there like a Justice League cartoon or something with Darkseid? Yes. Yeah, it was uh, It was Super Friends. And by the time Super Friends got to the last few seasons, they started uh, making a little bit more, uh, well, I don't want to say adult, but a little bit more closer to the comics. And they started uh, expanding the roster and they added uh, Firestorm and they added Cyborg. And with the bad guys, yeah, they started using... Uh, Dark Side, Calabac, the Parademons, you know, the whole bit. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's also why I, I was introduced to him as well as the cartoon. Yeah, that's basically the extent of the knowledge I have of Dark Side, remembering him in a cartoon when I was like six years old. So I, I don't know much about him. Uh, but he looked good. He looked good. He looked like a villain, you know? <laughs> yeah. And don't, yeah you th- and don't you think, uh, who's the guy? Well, oh, yeah. In Marvel, they got the, uh, is it Apocalypse? The, the X-Men villain? Yeah, X Factor, X Men. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he kind of is just a rip off of Dark Side in a way. Like he, visually, he kind of reminds me of Dark Side, even though they look vastly different. <laughs> but I guess the coloring schemes. Yeah, know, you know, you know who's actually closer is is Thanos. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure Jim Sterling admitted that he was ripping off Dark Side when right. he created Thanos. I can see yeah, that, so. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought, uh, yeah, because then Apocalypse and he comes from the planet Apocalypse. But I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, this, this is some crossover there, definitely. Yeah. All right, so <clears throat> so that brings us to Mr. Miracle. And yes. uh, th- this character, of course, he, he first appeared in Mr. Miracle 1, 1971. And his name is Scott Free, mm-hmm. which is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. It's <laughs> And there's more Free. ridiculous names yes. to come. <laughs> we'll yes. get into that because that's one of my big issues with this. All right, uh, Scott is the son of High Father. So he's basically yes. Jesus or Thor, however you want to look yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah. You could say that, yeah. Uh, he's the ruler, uh, High Father said, is the ruler of New Genesis. And in a peace pact between Darkseid and Apocalypse, the High Father said, I, I, you mentioned this last week on the show, High Father sent his son to Darkseid, and Darkseid sent his son to the High Father. Right. So that the two worlds would, would remain uh, peaceful. So right. they, they would not have any more wars. And the, the Darkseid's kid was named Orion. Yes. No, I didn't read too much about Orion, but I can understand, like, he's a dick? Is that what, he's, like, kind of a troublemaker? He, well, yeah, I mean, you know, he's sort of, yeah, I mean, he's the son of Darkseid, so I guess the idea is that it's in his blood, that he's, uh, you know, violent and warlike, you know, temperamental, but growing up in, um, uh, on New Genesis, in the floating city of Supertown, 
he um, <laughs> is, you know, he's given, he's given, you know, like better values and morals than he would have if he grew up on Apocalypse. So he turns out okay. He's still a hero, oh. you know? Oh, yeah. I, okay. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, but I just like the, the floating city of Supertown. What are we doing? What are we doing here? This is ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So the, <laughs> but, but cool. I was going to say, this is Kirby off his leash. Like this is without being, fil- <laughs> this is not filtered through Stan Lee. Yeah. He needs so a filter. The, he might need, he may, yeah, he needs someone to sort of smooth off those rough edges. I'll give you that. Uh, but getting back to the Thor comparisons, uh, or it's kind of like Loki wasn't really Odin's kid, right? Didn't he adopt him or bring him in? Right. Yeah. He was adopted. True. So you kind of see the same thing with Orion then. It, it, doesn't it kind of remind you of something else where you have someone who has a, he, he has a father that's unbeknownst to him and there's a dark side in there. And doesn't that remind you of another franchise a little bit? A father? Maybe, uh, yeah, go ahead. Fill me maybe in. Star Wars? Oh, see, I don't even think about Star Wars. <laughs> oh, you should, you should, Mike Dell. You should always be thinking of Star Wars. I am not a fan of Star Wars. All right, so. we got to talk about that. All right. Um, so getting back to the new Genesis, they make the pact. Orion is Darkseid's kid. He goes to live in New Genesis. Uh, Scott Free is High Father's kid. He goes to live in Apocalypse. So Scott yes. grows up in an orphanage on Apocalypse. <laughs> Who runs this orphanage, Mike Dell? Do you know? Granny goodness? Yes, Granny goodness. What is happening here with these names? What is going off on? The, this is off the rails. This is Kirby off <laughs> the is, rails, okay? This is so <laughs> terrible. Uh, Scott eventually rebels against Darkseid's totalitarianism. And yes. uh, he, he leads like a little revolt. Uh, but he, he escapes to Earth. But yes. Mike L, apparently, uh, Darkseid let him go. He, he knew. Oh, did he let him go, really? Yeah. See, here's the deal. Darkseid actually allowed it to happen. So that uh, when Scott leaves Dark Apocalypse, it voids the peace treaty with the New Genesis. Oh, so then okay. Darkseid could resume his war with New Genesis. Okay, yeah. okay. I've read some of the stuff, but not all of it, so. On Earth, Scott meets a fellow <laughs> named Thaddeus Brown, a, profes- yes. a professional escape artist who performed under the name Mr. Miracle. Yep. Uh, and by the way, Michael, I don't know if you're aware of this, but apparently Thaddeus Brown once trained a young Bruce Wayne. Really? Yeah. That, that must have been revealed later on, right? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I just read it in the bio of Thaddeus Brown. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Scott Free studies with Brown and his assistant Oberon, who's a little yes. fella. Yep. Uh, but some of Darkseid's criminal pals on Earth, under the leadership of, uh, I think, someone called Steel Hand... They uh, okay. They kill Thaddeus Brown. Yes. Because apparently this steel hand fellow, from what I understood, he had a bet with uh, Thaddeus Brown because Thaddeus Brown was the greatest escape artist, and he and he said, "Well, you won't be able to escape death." And then he he killed him. So. Oh, he got him there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so Scott Owned. assumes the Mister Miracle identity and takes on the costume. And he, he goes after uh, Steel Hand and the, the gang of criminals, and he brings them down, and then he, he starts to become a superhero that fights crime. It sure does. Yeah. So that makes sense, because I never understood how this escape artist part factored into all this. Like, you know, I thought, why was he an escape artist in this new Genesis? No, no, no. He didn't become an escape artist until he came to Earth and studied with the master escape artist, Thaddeus Brown. Yep. So, all right, it don't make sense. 
do you know and do you know where kirby got the idea to make him an escape artist yeah you mentioned this last week but go ahead yes the famous artist jim steranko is an actual real life escape artist and that's where kirby got the idea yeah and and we're definitely going to cover jim steranko at some point on the show because i I love steranko i'm a big fan big fan uh, so Scott assumes the Mr. Miracle identity, and then he is later joined by Big Barda on yes. Earth. Uh, now, Big Barda first appeared in Mr. Miracle 4. Uh, Barda was born on Apocalypse and was taken away from her mother, Big Brita. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that. Okay. Yep. okay. And uh, by granny goodness, she took the baby Barda away because they wanted uh, Barda to lead Darkseid's female furies. A group of warrior women. Mm-hmm. But along the way, Barda, after she's leading these female appearances, she meets Scott and she falls in love. Uh-oh. And she Great. helps him escape to Earth, but she decides to stay. Uh, because I don't, I, can't, I don't know why, <laughs> but she decides to stay. And then later, she joins Scott on Earth, though. She comes yep. down and helps him out. And they eventually marry, Michael. They, they yes. get married. And I, I should uh, one other quick tip here about the uh, Big Barda. Uh, Jack Kirby based Big Barda's appearance on Lainey Kazan, a singer, really? and a, a singer and an actress. Uh, she, you would, you were the name may not mean anything to you, but if you look uh-huh. through uh, her her credits, yeah, she you'd recognize her. Uh, but uh-huh. at the at the time back in 1970, she had just appeared topless in Playboy. Hello. And that's <laughs> that's why Jack Kirby, <laughs> so Kirby. Let me just quickly Google that to confirm you're right. Oh, yeah. turns out you are right. Yeah, okay. you just want to verify. Always trust but verify. Especially when it comes to Playboy shoots. Always trust but verify. I uh, can see the resemblance. Okay. <laughs> now, the Continue. interesting note here uh, about Barda and Scott in this issue is Barda is not drawn any bigger than Scott. Okay, yeah. good point. Good point. But like in the yes. later in the later years, she's big Barda for a reason. She's a very large like Amazonian <laughs> Amazonian woman, however you want to say it. Yeah. Yes, you know that's something. You're right. I kind of noticed that, but just it just didn't click. But you're right. She is definitely supposed to be bigger than Mister Miracle. Yeah. Uh, and she's kind of. I think she's also partly inspired by uh, Jack Kirby's wife, uh, Roz. Yeah. They said the relationship was based on his relationship with his wife. Okay. So that's nice. But he's like, yeah, for looks, nah. Not the wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going with Lady Kazan, the real stack topless model in Playboy. Yes. Uh, all right. So the original Mr. Miracle run ended with issue 18 in 1974, and then this issue that we're doing here today, Mr. Miracle 19, resumes the tale three years later, 1977. And uh, with Scott and Barda, the issue opens with them on their honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think this, uh, the uh, renaissance of Mr. Miracle here didn't last that long. I think it only went to, like, issue 25. Yeah, I was going to say, like, six issues, yeah. And then they stopped and, it again. But isn't it, I, I got to point out quickly, isn't it funny how back in those days they didn't inst- just knee-jerk, just reboot everything? They actually waited, they... Even though there was a three-year gap, they still picked up the numbering. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, that is true. I like that, that they just resumed the numbering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Important to me, anyway. Well, because back then they didn't realize, oh, issue number one sell more than issue number 19. So we need right. to put the big number one issue on it. But uh, Yeah. All right, so, Mike, oh, that brings us to the plot of this issue. Like I said, it, it opens up on New Genesis with uh, Scott and Barda on their honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and why don't you take it away, Micah? What what happens then? Well, basically, they're just kind of shooting the breeze, you know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? 
And then uh, High Father comes in, and you know we get some exposition to Yo. kind of explain. Oh, we get know, a lot of exposition. Yeah, <laughs> they got to bring you up to speed. You know what I mean? But here's because, the ridiculous um, part about this exposition, though. Yeah, we need filled in because again, there's a three-year gap. You want to fill in the readers what's going on in the backstory. So I understand that. But you have the High Father telling Scott Free's backstory to, to Scott him. Free. <laughs> You're right. This is true. This is true. But, uh, you know, it was just the way things were done back then, right? Well, here's a tip for you kids out there. Uh, when, you're, when you're writing and you want to do this, when you're writing a project, you, you have a – remember, dialogue is between characters, not characters and the reader. So if you want to tra translate or, you know, relate this uh, backstory from Scott Free, you have someone – who isn't scot-free has the receiver of the information. Like maybe the high father could see some little kid saying, Hey, who's that over there? That's scot-free. Let me tell you about scot-free and then give the relation. You don't have him speak directly to scot-free and tell scot-free about his life. That doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, pretty awkward. You're, it's a good point. It's yeah. pretty awkward. All right. So, yeah, so basically they're chilling out, you know, you know, they're kind of, uh, walking along, hanging out. And basically, um, they're just on the verge of, you know, you know, kind of just relaxing and whatever. And then all of a sudden no. a boom tube appears. Now, the, do you know what a boom tube is? <laughs> well, first of all, they're right on the, the verge of making sweet, sweet love. That's okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go that far, but okay, fine. Well, yeah. here's, here's two, fa I was going to mention these a little later. Two memorable quotes from this, this issue come from this scene. The first uh, was when Barta and Scott are talking. Barta says, and I am a normal person, godling, even if I'm not built like it. Yeah, because yeah. she is stacked <laughs> and then later like two panels yes. later she says shh orion will do the fighting you do the loving and yes. then, then they and kiss and then boom the boob to what is it the the boom tube boom. no that's a, it's a boom tube that's why it says boom right there boom tube not a boob tube <laughs> <laughs> boom i'm still thinking about uh laney kazan yeah, that's the problem. Uh, but, yeah, he's like, look out a boom tube. And it's like, what the hell? Uh, good Lord. Jack Kirby, what are you doing? Boom no, tube. No, this is, this is peak Jack Kirby, in my opinion. But So, so what's a boom tube, Mike? I'll explain this a, concept. It's a inter... I, I don't want to say interdimensional, but uh, it basically, it's a way of transporting across, you know, vast distances. And so this is how they travel from planet to planet. Almost, but, almost if you think about Thor, like the Rainbow Bridge. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you, I never thought of that. You're yeah. right. But instead, it's a tube, and it when it happens, it's like a big thunderclap, and so it's a it's called a boom tube because it's so loud when it appears. <sighs> yes. <sighs> so so so, anyway. through, so through this little opening, uh, out come some villains. Some villains yes. pop out of the air. Now, can you do you remember the names of these villains, Michael? Well, but of course. So as the we have the aforementioned Granny Goodness. Ridiculous. We have uh, Dr. Bedlam, we have Kanto, and we have Vermin Wunderbar. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. My favorite. <laughs> Vermin Wunderbar. Yes. And, and I like Dr. Bedlam. I, I'll be honest, when I was, I just heard the names and I wasn't sure who was who. And then uh, I'm like, Dr. Bedlam, oh, well, that's probably the guy maybe dressed in like the military outfit. No, Dr. Bedlam's just like the shirtless dude over there. You think as a doctor, he would be, you know, more like classier. A little yeah. more modest, yeah. Yeah, yeah. something, I, I don't know. It was a little weird. So yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to the names later. We can we can explore the names a little more later. But I like them. But anyway, so basically they have a little, like your favorite thing. There's little, there's some fisticuffs, right? Uh yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of fisticuffs, and then basically they kidnap Big Barda, and they take her into this boom tube, and that's it. They're out. They're gone. Yep. And so then, so it's it's kind of it's and this is where it gets cool because 
They actually have uh, Mr. Miracle at one point, but then he manages to pull himself away just as the boom tube is closing, right? So now they're gone. He's still there. High Father's there. Apparently, Jack Kirby's standing in the background. Did you see that shot at the bottom of page seven there? It looks exactly like Jack Kirby. I didn't even notice. Yeah, but it's Hyman. It's Hyman. <laughs> That's another name so, we should talk about. Hyman. Yeah, we probably should talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I also have to point out that at this point, they're all wearing weird, non-Jack Kirby-designed costumes. Like, this is not the costumes they originally had. Like, like Mr. Miracle, I don't know what the heck that outfit is. And then if you look at the next page, they flash back to Orion. And that is not Orion's original costume. That's a redesign. So, in case you're confused, Mike Dell, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm very confused by a lot of this. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> but, anyway. Oh, I, so, I see the guy you're saying looks like Jack Kirby, yeah. Yeah, Hyman. Yeah. The aforementioned Hyman. Anyway, okay, so so basically, um, so so Mr. Miracle basically says, okay, well, you know what? Oh, so he's he's he basically says, well, I gotta go after her. And so yeah. and High Father's like, well, yeah, you can go after her, but everyone else is fighting this war, so no one else is gonna be able to help you. And oh, by the way, they they name drop a couple other people like Lashina and her female furies. How do you what do you, what do you think of that name? Lashima. Lashina. Yeah, like she lashes people. Lashina. Oh, okay, Lashina, because I didn't even notice yeah. her. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even register with me that name. But yeah. Okay. When you're when you're when you're like, when you're overflowing with ridiculous names, some slip through. You know. Sure, understandable. Understandable. So basically, so then he decides. Well, I'm. I can't. I get. You know, I can't get help from. You know, Orion and Light Ray and all these other people. So he decides to go back to his buddy Oberon. Um, yeah. On Earth. He's a very little fella. On, yes. Uh, so, what does he do? Is he like the the uh, gadget guy? Does he come up with the tech? You know what? I, it's funny because I first got exposed to Oberon through Justice League International. Did you ever read that? The funny <laughs> take a guess. version of Justice League. Take I'm going to guess no. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> oh, you're missing out. It's really good. But I thought I originally thought he was part of just that sort of team, but I didn't know till later he was Mister Miracle's kind of I don't know what he is like manager. I'm not really sure exactly what he does or what his role is, but yeah. he's his buddy. Yeah, because if you want to go to someone to get help, maybe not go to the three foot guy. You know, like yeah. <laughs> you have to carry around on your back yeah. everywhere you go. <laughs> oh, good point. He's also comic relief. He's kind of funny, I think. Anyway, I maybe guess. not in this story, but <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say not in this story. <laughs> maybe in other stories, yeah. So, oh, so now this is this is where it gets really cool. This is one of my favorite things <laughs> is that they start they they managed to track down Barda by using his by using Mr. Miracle's mother box. Are you familiar with this concept? Yes. Well, the term mother box has a different meaning where I come from. But Oh jeez. <laughs> in, in this story, what does mother box refer to, Michael? Okay, the the closest analogy I can give is that a mother box in 1971, a mother box was what we now call a quote cell phone. Okay, <laughs> because everything that a mother box could do then is what our smartphones well, can do now. Well, I think it can do a little bit more than that. I think it can okay. like manipulate matter and create force fields and stuff. But uh, that's coming. I'm telling you, that's coming soon. <laughs> Android 10. I'm not sure how like. Who created this mother box? I should have looked more into the mother box. But, uh, again, the name was so absurd, I didn't want to. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, it's funny. It's one of those things that I think they all have a mother box, and I'm not sure who designed them or who invented them or how they got them, but they all just seem to have one. 
And when you say they, you mean the people from New Genesis. Yeah, all the new gods and possibly the bad guys, too. I'm not oh. sure what the bad guys, but all the new gods have a mother box, yes. And, and basically, when Mr. Miracle has this mother box, which it's just literally like a little box, like yes. strapped to his arm or something, right? Is that where he, he has it? Or? Yeah, yeah. Some each I think new god has it in a different spot. Like his is on his arm. Some of them might be in their belt, I think. But I also have to point out, do you know what I what the name like you know you can personalize the name of your your smartphone okay do you have any guesses what mine's called mother box <laughs> you got it anyway that's how you pick up the ladies man you, you show them that that your phone's named mother box you show them that was, jack kirby drawn background and was I'm telling you man was vagina taken so you yeah <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, Hyman was taken anyway. Take yes. Ahead. Yes. This, uh, mother box, uh, basically makes Mr. Miracle like impervious to injury. Like it gives him a personal force field or something. So he, he can't, you can't hurt him. It's kind of a deus ex machina. It kind of seems to do whatever is convenient <laughs> yes. for the story, to be honest. Yeah. So, so when he shows up the bad guy's hideout with Oberon, who again is just hitchhiking, he, he's doing nothing. Yeah. He's just, he's just yeah, riding on his back. <laughs> Oh, that's true. <laughs> good thing you stopped to get Oberon. He's really helpful. Uh, but the, the bad guys say, oh, I'm sorry, not the bad guys, but Granny Goodness. She yeah, tells them, we're here. not letting you in our hideout unless you uh, take off the mother box. You have to get rid of your mother box. Yes. And, and then he takes it out. In a, the way it's drawn, I cannot tell what is happening. <laughs> like it, it, It's like he's pulling it apart and it's made out of taffy. Yeah, yeah, something it's, or like, and there's also text in there. It's like, is it made out of text? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I can't really tell, but very strange. Yeah, um, and also, so he does this away from Oberon's eyes. He he mm -hmm. puts his cape towards Oberon. He, for some reason, he does want to let Oberon see what's going on. And then he also takes some other precautions. Though, Michael, what does he do? He, this is so awesome. <laughs> he has a contact lens that he, he calls an x-ray lens. So, and he, they show a giant close-up of him putting it on his eye, yes. which is awesome. He also <laughs> has a dinotherm bomb underneath a false patch of skin in between two of his fingers. Yes. Again, cool as heck. And then he also has a tiny electronic lock pick that he hides in his upper gum. Yeah, his lip. Which is kind of <laughs> gross, it, but. Yeah, he puts it up there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess Houdini used to like hide keys in his mouth and stuff, right? So this, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. He puts like his lock pick up along his teeth on his upper gum because he knows they're going to search him. So he has to be sneaky yeah. about where he puts all this stuff. True. Yeah. So he goes in the hideout, Michael. They're like, all right, he's got the mother box going. Come on in. And Oberon waits outside doing nothing and wondering why he even came. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mr. Miracle goes inside, and Granny Goodness is there, and I don't know who, v Vermin Wunderbar. And, yeah, uh, Vermin Wunderbar. And what's the other guy? Capto or Cato? Canto, isn't it Canto? <laughs> Something like that, I don't know. Yeah. And uh, so so Granny Goodness is, all right, we're, we're, we're brainwashing uh, Big Barda here. Big Barda, yeah. We're going to make her one of our minions. And she's, she's strapped up to this uh, machine while she's lying down on her back. And, and she looks naked underneath it. I'll go to tell because there's this thing covering she up her chest. Kind of does, yeah. Good chest. point. And uh, and he's she's like, well, we're we're brainwashing her. And Mister Miracle, he's just like, oh, okay. Like he doesn't do anything. Like there's no fighting. There's nothing. Like well, he does get upset. He says, by the source, <laughs> yeah, Barda. He, right. But he's like, oh, but a hero should go in there and start cracking heads. He's just like, nah, I'm good. 
they don't even have guns or anything on them. They're just like uh, just Wonder Bar and Camto or whatever. They just walk over and like grab each hold an arm. And Mr. Miracle's like, yeah, all right. All right, I'm Maybe he's biding his time, right? He's thinking about his plan. Well, his here's a here's move. a plan, Mr. Miracle. Punch people in the face. <laughs> That's the plan. Fisticuffs. Yes. Get in there yeah. and start cracking skulls. So uh, then, Micah, what do they do? They, they take him well, away. Yeah, see, I, I think what he was doing is he was trying to provide himself an opportunity to escape something. <laughs> yes, that's, so that's exactly, that's exactly what, what this was. But at right. least have him fight and then have them defeat him. But he's just like, oh, all right, whatever. But he's pre- he's prepared. He's got his X-ray <laughs> eyelid and or his X-ray you know contact lens and all the other gadgets. So he's ready to go. So they lock him up in these chains, and they give him a cocoon of chains, <laughs> and they hang him upside down. And they submerge him in, into a uh, tank of water. Yes, which is the Houdini Chinese water torture tank of trick. Of course. Yeah, yep. that he was famous for doing. And But here's the best part, Michael. Then once <laughs> they get him secured in this water tank, where he's surely going to die because, you know, he has no air, he's, he's tied up. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do the villains do? What do Vermin, Wunderbar, and Kepto or whoever, what, what do they decide to do, Michael? They just walk away. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because well, they know he's going to die. So why would they stick around to watch, right? <laughs> yes. They're like, uh, <laughs> we don't have the stomach to watch you die. We're just going to walk away. We're yep. just going like, to give you some privacy so you can escape. That's what we're going to do. Because this is what he says. Scott Free died the moment he removed his protective circuits anyway. So they don't have to worry, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently. There you go. So then when he's under the, you know, he goes into his Houdini bit and he gets the lockpick out of his mouth and he uses that to uh, undo the chains and then uh, he just powers his way out of the tank. He, yeah, he uses his electro pick to uh, slide it through a crack in the uh, glass or the uh, the container, whatever it's called. And, and then he just muscles his way out, and oh, yep. he can breathe again. Oh, I'm free. I got breath. Air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then he he's got, he goes to try and get Big Barter back, and Granny Goodness says, "Oh, what? How is this possible? Well, maybe because you left the room. Maybe that's how. It's <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say." Maybe you left the room. Uh, th- so they slam down a titanium door. Now, this is also weird, Michael, because if you look at this panel, like uh, he sees the, this door come down, and then like the sound effect is written on the door. Yeah, and, I know. And, and it looks like a brand like text. name. It doesn't, look yeah, like a, it doesn't look like a sound effect. You're totally right about that. <laughs> it looks, oh, the manufacturer of this titanium door is Slam. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's so strange. It's just like it's just like when he's pulling the mother box and he was just it was followed by text, right? Tearing the text away. <laughs> so uh how does he get through the titanium door, Mygo? He uses a dinotherm bomb. <laughs> yeah. That he had secreted between the and the underneath the fake skin between his fingers. Right, right. Mm. Which which he set up earlier. Yeah. What a, what but a but unfortunately they got away again. Yes. But, Michael, he has a clue. They, they left a clue <laughs> yes. where they're going. Because uh, when the bad guys were, you know, taking him to the water tank, <clears throat> one of them, I think it was v- Vermin Wunderbar, he, he said, uh, we will be looking down on you. And then the other guy cut him off and said, hey, don't say any more. Don't say any more. But, yes. But Mr. Miracle, he remembers that. And, yes. And he knows, where can they look down on me if I'm on Earth? And what does he realize, Michael? The only place is the moon. <laughs> The moon. Of course, right? <laughs> I will follow them to the moon. Uh, a little bit of a stretch, you know, a little bit of a stretch in logic there, but I'll, I'll follow along. 
And it's always funny. It's just just like in the old Adam West TV show. Whenever they would um have like the Riddler set up these riddles, the the answers to the riddles always made no sense, <laughs> right? But it always gave them the answer to the how to solve the crime. But it's kind of the same thing here. But whatever. All right. So that that's the uh, the plot here. That's how the issue goes. And uh, the writer was Steve Englehart. Yes. Love yeah. Steve Englehart. Oh, wow. All right. You seem very excited about Steve Englehart. Uh, <laughs> he was born in 1947. And his uh, first comics gig was as an art assistant to Neil Adams on really? uh, okay. Vampirella number 10 in 1971. Hmm. He actually wanted to be an artist when he, he was younger. But uh, he, he joined Marvel as a proofreader, uh, kind of like a summer replacement. They needed someone to fill in, and, and he got the gig. And he did, some ver- he did various uncredited writing efforts on a number of titles. But his first credited writing work was a short story in Monsters on the Prowl number 15. In 1972, nice. I, do you miss these monsters? Like I, I just love when we're doing this research for these creators and how they got started. Pretty much all of them from this era got started doing monster comics. You know? Yeah, probably because those were maybe I'm assuming those were the lowest selling books, and they were kind of like you know <laughs> the, the testing, testing ground the for the new yeah, talent. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he even wrote two romance comics under the name Ann Spencer. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So his first yeah. actual superhero work. Uh, he wrote an ongoing Beast story, a Beast of the X-Men, in uh, yes. Amazing Adventures issues 12 through 17. And during that run, Michael, he dipped into his romance history of the comics, and he introduced the character Patsy Walker, who would become Hellcat. And she, did, he, did he create Patsy Walker? He did not create her. But she, oh, he brought her into the yes, series. Yes, gotcha. she was okay. a character in teen romance books, but he brought her into the Marvel Universe. Interesting. So he's responsible gotcha. for okay. bringing So no Hellcat without Steve Englehart. Uh, in August 1972, Englehart launched the Defenders with our buddy Sal Buscema. That's right. And if you go on the uh, Comic Book Syndicate website, uh, there's a flea market fantasy article about a Defenders issue written by, I believe, Steve Englehart and Sal, uh, and drawn by Sal Buscema. I believe. But, I think so. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then he wrote the Avengers from 72 to 76, and famous run. And yep. that span covered issues 105 to 152. And he also had memorable runs on Doctor Strange and Captain America. He uh, left Marvel in 1976 after falling out with new editor Jerry Conway. Mm-hmm. And uh, new editor-in-chief, I should say, Jerry Conway. And he went to D.C. and wrote Justice League. Yes. And did a memorable eight-issue arc on Detective Comics, mm-hmm. where he was credited with making Batman darker and restoring Joker to his homicidal tendencies. And yes. the artists on that run were Walt Simonson and... Marshall Rogers. Marshall Rogers, right. Yeah, the same guy who drew this issue of Mr. Yeah. Miracle. So, but Mike L., that uh, Detective Comics run, I guess it was pretty famous, that eight issue. It is. It, it's a lot of the uh, sort of stories and characters from that were used in the first Batman movie, uh, Michael Keaton movie. Yeah. Um, and, and I think some of it was even used, like Harvey Dent. I believe some of the Harvey Dent stuff was used in the Dark Knight film. I'm not sure, though. It's been a long time since I've read it. Because from what I gather, one of the storylines had the Joker uh, doing something where he was making the fish all have smiley faces. Right. And And, take it away, Michael. And I was going to say, that was adapted into an episode of the cartoon. I know that. But uh, was there... But also, wasn't like it was making everyone get a smiley face then, like, or like. Yeah, I, I I don't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, he was. I think he was 
giving them the smiley faces because he wanted people to only buy his fish or something. I can't remember exactly how it went. Yeah, I don't know the exact details, but I, I think that is, like you mentioned, similar to the first Batman movie because wasn't the Joker doing something similar in there? Or, with the, with the Smilex. Well, in the first, but yeah, well, it was kind of different, but yeah, he, in, in the first Batman film, it was people that were, uh, they were all getting the Smilex and, uh, you know, getting the permanent grins on their face. But in the comic, it wasn't called Smilex. It was the far less creative term, Joker Venom. Oh, all right. Yeah. I so. like I like Joker Venom better. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, he wrote Mr. Miracle numbers 19 to 22. And mm-hmm. uh, the series ended with issue 25. He returned to Marvel in 83 on the Epic Comics line. Uh, mm-hmm. And he did a book called Coyote, which he created with uh, Marshall Rogers. Yes. And, and I actually, I have a bunch of those. I've just never read them. Really? Because uh, during that Coyote run, he uh, Engelhart gave Todd McFarlane his first ever penciling job. This is true. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So Todd McFarlane broke into a Coyote. Now, Mike, I was trying to get some info about this Coyote book. I couldn't find anything. <laughs> what What was Coyote you know, about? You know, it's funny. I, I don't, I, since I've never read it, I, I'm one of these, like, I, I don't know if you know this, but I have like literally a thousand comics that I, I've owned that I've not read yet. Okay? Oh, wow. I bought so many. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And so I can't tell you anything about Coyote, but I can tell you it is possible to get uh, reprints of it because probably as a way of returning the favor back to Steve Englehart, Image Comics, right, which Todd McFarlane is a part of, they actually uh, published reprints of it at one point. So you can get like modern day collections of this series. Well, Mike, if you want. maybe you have that first Todd McFarlane art in one of your Coyotes issues. I probably have it reprinted, absolutely, but I don't have the original oh, you know, okay. issue. But yeah, but I definitely have it reprinted somewhere. And, so. f- and for those who don't remember, because I, I mean, I recall Epic when I was a kid, but Epic was basically Marvel in the early 80s. They had like a creator-owned properties right. line of books, and that was Epic. And yes. so that's why Coyote was here for Englehart and Marshall, and then... What were some that Jim Starlin had one? What was his? Uh, right. Dreadstar. Dreadstar. And yep. Epic was also, I think that was the line that did Electra Assassin, I think. Didn't they put that over there then? Yeah, it might have. Yeah. It, it's kind of like the precursor to like Vertigo, right? Like, sure. do you know anything about Vertigo DC? Not really. Well, I mean, I'm sure anyone listening already knows, but just quickly, uh, Vertigo started as a line for DC to put their more adult-oriented comics, but then it slowly evolved to also include creator-owned books. So in the same way that uh, Marvel would have put Elektra Assassin under Epic, uh, DC started doing some of their superhero books, their more serious adult ones, under Vertigo. And now today, that's kind of been replaced by a line called Black Label. And so if DC wants to do a really sort of violent adult Batman story, they'll do it under Black Label. Or when they want to show his Batwang... Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Uh, So Englehart, after doing the epic stuff, he also worked on West Coast Avengers uh, for a long bit. He he did the Vision and Scarlet Witch limited series, which I believe I also did for Flea Market Fantasy on your site. Yes. Uh, He did the Silver Surfer, uh, I guess technically, I I guess a reboot, right? In 1987, they brought the series back. Um, The Fantastic Four, he did some work on there. And he he did some issues under a uh, pseudonym because he was having conflicts with the editors. So he wouldn't let his name be on the books. Um, Right. It was Jonathan Harkness, right? Yep. John Harkness. Yeah. He did The Incredible Hulk. And then uh, even for Valiant Comics, he did the first four issues of Exo Manowar. Yes. And he did issue one of Shadow Man as well for Valiant. That's that's right. Yep. And I, I am the proud owner of 
pretty much anything he did after the mid 80s so wow. all the later com yeah like all his fantastic four all his silver surfer all his valiant uh his green lantern run i've got that millennium he did uh new guardians i love it all it's you're, great you're like an Engelhart groupie you could yeah, say like that. that yeah uh, some of Steve Englehart's creations include Star-Lord and Mantis of the Guardians of the Galaxy fame. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. And he and Jim Starlin also created Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu. See, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. There's your Steve Englehart stuff. Um, I already mentioned the memorable quotes uh, earlier in this. But what? Yes. I don't know, my girl. I was not impressed with the writing in this issue. Okay. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just put it out there. I was not a fan. Ah. <laughs> uh. So you I want to know why I like Steve Englehart? Is that it? No, because I mean this is real early, seventy-seven. You know, yeah. he he was young. I'm sure he got much better as he went along, <laughs> but this was not. And again, the source material he's working with here, there's only so much you can it, do. It's <laughs> genius, genius. But anyway, the only thing I can say, I think, okay, how I got into Steve Englehart was, uh, at one point I was rereading a bunch of my comics. I decided, okay, I'm going to sell these comics, but I'm going to read them one more time before I get rid of them, which I'm still doing technically. And uh, <laughs> one of the ones I read was an issue of Fantastic Four during that run. Do you remember that run where uh, Reed Richards and, and Sue Richards left the team and they were replaced by the wrestler version of Ms. Marvel and Crystal? Do you remember that? <laughs> the wrestler version of I don't yeah, know what that means. Yeah, there, yeah, there was another Ms. Marvel where she was part of like the... Oh, it was a wrestling federation in Marvel. I can't remember what it was what? called, but she, yeah, there was a, she. She was part of the wrestling federation, and her name was Ms. Marvel. But it wasn't like the original Ms. Marvel. It was a completely different character. I have no concept yeah. of any of this. Oh I, yeah, I think I didn't know I Marvel had a ladies' wrestling organization. I, I need to get in on this. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm gonna look it up right yeah, now. Yeah, th this is the part of the show where we Google things. Yeah, definitely. I know it was Sherry Ventura. That's her name. I have never heard of that in my life. Really, oh. I'm not a big Fantastic Four guy. I'll be honest. So um, she's she's part of the Unlimited Class Wrestling Federation. <laughs> You're blowing my mind with this. I never heard of yeah. any of this. <laughs> right. Isn't that cool? I'm yeah. gonna have to look. There's into a whole it. world of of stuff you that you that you haven't been exposed to. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's crazy. Um, all right. Well, yeah. So you liked his run on Fantastic Four, and that's what made you. Yeah. A fan? So I, I read the one issue that I had, and I. I I kind of remembered it being okay, but when I reread it, I was like, wow, this is great. And so that's when I, I became an Englehart fan. I think if I can define what I like about him, it's like, you know, there's obviously a lot of great writers in comics, but I, I think the thing about him is that sometimes even my the best writers in comics tend to treat it a little bit like a joke. Like, I, like I love Peter David, but there's always kind of that, he kind of undercut it undercuts it a little bit by throwing in so many jokes and one-liners and even someone like John Byrne who I used to like John Byrne he tends to it's almost like John Byrne himself doesn't take his own story seriously okay. whereas I think that I think that Steve Englehart does I think he's really passionate about his stories and about superheroes and I think it comes through and that's why I like him all right well that makes sense uh, but this issue though man wow <laughs> not his best. Not his best. The exposition but. at the beginning, the, the contrivance of getting him in that water tank, uh, just uh, the absurdities of so much of the so many. It's it's just bad. It's not. Good. But you know what? There's something I. There's something about it where it's like, it's almost like, he, again, he takes it seriously, and I think that comes through. I think he's trying his best. All you right. Know? 
Okay. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so the artist on this issue we mentioned is uh, Marshall Rogers. Now, I had yes. no knowledge of Marshall Rogers until this issue. Uh, but then I didn't realize I actually did have knowledge of Marshall Rogers, but I didn't until really? I went through his career. Uh, but he was born in 1950. Uh, he, he sadly passed away in 2007. So, yes, that is sad. Uh, he studied architecture at Kent State University, but he left before graduating. However, his comics art would later include detailed buildings and structures due to his architectural studies. And mm. I think if you even in this issue, if you look at the backgrounds and the structures and the buildings, they're very good. So... I, I th- yeah, I think you can see that clearly in his art. Yeah, I especially noticed that towards the end of the comic when Mister Miracle is getting like tied up. Yeah, there's that one page, digital twenty six and original fourteen, where he's they're kind of walking him through like this castle or whatever it is. Yes. And it, yeah, it looks very, you know, accurate. I guess you could say realistic. It's really good. He he tried to get into comics for many, uh, many years, and he always getting rejected, um, but. Re- Finally, he, he credited his design skill as finally getting him a job in comics, not so much his, you know, drawing comics ability, but just his design skill. And his first issue was uh, Detective Comics 466 in December of 1976. So, okay. uh, yeah, he, how old would he have been there? 26 at that time? Yeah, 26. That's a, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, he was probably most famous for his work on Detective Comics between 1977 and 79. Uh, and that run, he did 13 issues over that stretch. But uh, the most famous were the ones he did with Engelhart, that eight-issue run, I guess, uh, we yeah. already talked about. Uh, his notable Marvel work included a brief six-issue stint on Doctor Strange in 1981. And, Michael, this will make you happy. He did five scattered issues of G.I. Joe. Yes, he did. I think that's where I was first exposed to him. Yep. And this is actually where I first knew his art, but I didn't until I read this. Uh, he, he did 12 issues including the first 10 on the 1987 Silver Surfer series, which yes. with Steve Engelhardt. See, I didn't even realize that was Marshall Rogers, but yeah, I had all those issues and I, and I read them all. So yeah, I just reread those like a month ago and they were great. I love them. Uh, now, Michael, getting back to a uh, miracle man, 19, the art on this issue was credited to Rogers and Ilya Hunch. Yes. Which is a pseudonym. <laughs> yes. For a bunch of people, right? Who worked at, I think it was Neil Adams Studio? Yep. Nine different people. Ilya Hunch. And so if you notice, if you're going through this issue and you're like, well, the art seems a little inconsistent on pages. or Well, because nine different people inked it. Yeah. (laughs) That could be why. Uh, Some some of the famous people uh, who, Neil Adams actually inked the eyes on Mr. Miracle on page one. So there's something which look great like that that page one is one of the best pages in the issue but anyway. it's just a real big close-up of him and his face is split yeah. like scot-free half mr miracle yeah um then like all these other inkers they all just did like basically one character like uh rogers did mr miracle dick giordano did barda i thought barda looked great <laughs> i was a big fan of yeah, barda she did yeah uh, and some of the Extra other effort. some of the other inkers involved here al milgram and uh, terry austin uh, so nice. some, some famous people in here doing the inking. Yeah. But yeah, nine different people. All right, so... Yeah, it comes off as a little sloppy. I'll give you that. Um, all right, Michael. So th- there's Mr. Miracle 19. Now, I, I, when we were going through, I mentioned some of my major problems. Uh, the absurd exposition. Yeah. Um, the character names are just ridiculous. Uh, like Vuman, Vermin Wunderbar? Yes. Dr. Bedlam. Boom yeah, tube, that. mother box, granny oh, goodness. Oh, no, those are great. Those are great. Those Scott are Free. Oh, okay, I'll give you that one. <laughs> the High Father. Oh, um, 
the villains putting him in Houdini's water tank and just leaving. Yeah. And then you, you, we did have the one fist fight at the beginning when Barda cracked somebody really good, so that's nice. Mm -hmm. But at the end, he just walks into that no fist fight. It's at the end. We need a big fight there at the end. You know, he's, he's got to think. He's got to think about his next move. He's a thinker. Think while punching. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Too philosophy, eh? So yeah, I'm sorry. I'm I was just not a fan of any of this. <laughs> oh, I don't understand. I mean, it wasn't my favorite, but I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. Oh, another thing about Mr. Miracle we should mention. I tell tell the kids how he gets around. Like how he's... Oh, he flies around on these little discs. Yeah. I'm not sure what they're called, but yeah, it's really cool. I like that. Like there's one under each foot and they make right. it fly. So, yeah, it's so cool, eh? Yeah, that's interesting. That's <laughs> I like that, I guess. I um, His costume is great. You got to give him credit for that. Uh, sure. Here's the thing about the costume. I, it kind of annoyed me. And I think they went away from this when I've seen more recent issues. Uh, but like you, his, his mask, there are big eye cutouts. Yes. So then you can see his skin underneath the mask instead of just having like the normal superhero mask where the eyes are covered. You know what I mean? So yeah, mm. I did not like that. I did not. You like don't that. like it. No. It's, it's a little bit weird because there's also like, I mean, technically, there's also a space for his mouth because his mouth is open. Yeah. So it's almost like the mask goes directly to like the corners of his lips. Like, how does that work? It almost it's almost like it's more like makeup. Yes, right? it created a a conflict there between how the eyes were handled and how the mouth was handled. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is a little bit funny. Yeah. I'll give you that. So I do like the art, though. I do like the art in the situation. I mean, see, I didn't like the art. Though. The art's okay. Like, you can see where he has, uh, you know, some talent that you can see. Oh, this guy's good. But uh, one of the things he was doing that was annoying me was he did a lot of panels where there would be someone's face, like their profile, mm -hmm. an extreme profile, right in the foreground of a yes, corner looking. of a panel. He did that many times. And a lot of times you couldn't even tell what the hell it was. It's like there's one of Scott Free. It's like, wait, was that his nose? Is that his forehead? I, it was just strange. I was not a fan. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, is he's obviously got talent, but yeah, the art's a little bit inconsistent. Yes. Like, and like sloppy. And like, even if you look at that, uh, those opening few pages, like obviously the opening shot of his face is great. But then when you go to the next page, like them walking through this garden, it's it's really creative and cool in a way. But you can also see, like. You know, like the bottom panel is kind of awkward, and the way his head's twisted around. So it's almost like he—it's almost like he's just really inexperienced. You know, like I'm sure he—I mean, he did get better later, but yeah, he definitely needs—he needed refinement, I think. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. And, and again, this yeah. is one of his first things he did, so you know, right. he's finding his way. So it shouldn't be judged too harshly. And, and there are some good shots in here. Like he does do some good. Uh, just pictures of like uh, Mr. Miracle, uh, like when he's flying or just standing mm -hmm. still where it, it looks nice and clean and stuff. But yeah, overall, I think the art was pretty inconsistent. And um, I, I don't know. I, yeah, there's extreme close-ups. Uh, that was freaking me out. Not a fan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he did it like one every page. He had one in there. Mm -hmm. uh, so there you go. Uh, I, I don't know, Michael. Overall, uh, again, not a big fan of this. I'll give it a 2 out of 10. <laughs> just because. The lowest I can go is six out of ten. Okay, Holy the hell. lowest. You are so generous here, because um, I, I I guess I liked being exposed to this world a little bit, just getting mm. to hear about it for the first time and all this Jack Kirby sure. stuff. But again, it is blatantly ripped off from Thor. 
Um, I don't know. Well, <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, it's can you bad. rip off yourself? I don't know. Can you? <laughs> well, I, I guess. guess. Well, when it, when the when the intellectual property belongs to another company, yes, yes, you can. Okay, <laughs> you can argue that. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> so, I'm not a fan of. Mr. Now, here's Miracle. my question: Are you going to read more Mr. Miracle? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> oh, I'm going to. As soon as we uh, end this podcast, I'm going to read the rest of his run. Anyway. Oh, there's no way. No way. <laughs> okay. Maybe I'll give like the because I hear the modern Mr. Miracle, like that Tom King fella did a nice run. On oh yeah. Movie. So I, excellent. I might read that. But okay. There's okay. No fine. way in hell I'm reading any more of this. Oh, I'm hurt. <laughs> Granny goodness, give me a break. V- Vermin Wunderbar. <laughs> Forget him. All right, Michael. So uh, next week we're back to one of yes. my picks. Drum roll. We're gonna what go. Is it? We're gonna go Fantastic Four number one seventy one. Whoa, nice. From nineteen seventy six. Like I said, I was never a huge Fantastic Four fan. I didn't know all that much about them, but they always, I always found them appealing because you know they were basically the first superhero team, and they re- mm-hmm. they revitalized the whole comic industry when they came out. And I think if they were going to do, they keep doing these uh, Fantastic Four movies, Michael, and they're always terrible. And uh, I never watch them. But I think the problem is, if you're going to do a Fantastic Four movie, set it in the 1950s. I agree. Or the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. But like where it's an innocent time and right. uh, where there aren't superheroes everywhere, technologies, uh, not as what it is today. Because that was one of the big things about Fantastic Four was Reed Richards coming up with these little gadgets and inventions and the technology and the sci-fi aspects of it. And right. I, I think you lose that when you put it in the modern world where you, we already have all that stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay. But, well, then, but they could just do something more advanced, right? Yeah, I know. But it's but it, I, I think it loses some of its impact when, like, Reed comes out, look, I invented a toaster oven. Yeah, okay. T- oh, okay, Reed. <laughs> yeah. I actually read an FF story where he invented a dishwasher. Yeah, well, we had that. And about. I'm like, yeah, I think they can already do that. But anyway. But back in a more innocent time, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's where Fantastic Four really shines. But uh, That's true. in this issue, it's 1976, and the reason I picked it, I actually own this issue. Okay. Uh, but the reason I picked it is because the Fantastic Four, they're fighting a giant monkey. Yes. <laughs> a giant look monkey. Look at the cover right now. This is great. Yep. Gore. <laughs> yeah. A golden monkey versus the Fantastic Four. Golden. I and uh, I can't remember who the writer is here, but the artist here is George Perez. The writer's Roy Thomas. Ah, I'm looking Roy at Thomas. it right now. Yep. So, so we'll get to talk some George Perez, though, next week. That's so great. That's yeah, awesome. I'm pumped. Yeah. Good pick. All right. You can't go wrong with a giant monkey. And fingers crossed, Michael, I pray to God uh, there's, they're fighting the giant monkey. I hope there's fisticuffs and people I'm are sure. punching the monkey. I'm sure there yeah. will be because this is a Marvel comic, right? So I'm sure <laughs> Absolutely. fisticuffs. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I know All what right. they're doing. So, yeah, I guess uh, everyone, if you're listening, please be sure to share this video, like this video, tell your pals, uh, and please write us and let us know what you think of uh, this Mr. Miracle comic as well well as what you think of our reviews, right? Well, write Mike L. Yeah, okay, don't write Mike Dell, write Mike L. I'm very busy. Yeah, he's a busy guy. So post on Facebook, post on YouTube, on Twitter, all the different places we post it. Please uh, send us your responses, let us know what you think. And join us again next week for Flea Market Fantasy every Tuesday, day or night, depending on when we decide to upload it, right? Sure. All right. So we'll see you again next week.